Welcome friends, James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, with a little bonus follow-up today to the recently released podcast episode 345 of the Corbett Report, The Secret Lie That Started the Afghan War. If you haven't watched that report yet, what are you doing? Please stop, go down to the show notes, click the link, and go watch that report, because it is a particularly important one. So I wanted to follow up with it today. Uh, as you'll see when you watch that report, I did interview Professor Niels Herrett about his research into this Frank Taylor report and the briefing document that's now available online. Uh, and I was just recording that interview for the express purpose of using the little clips to help narrate that, uh, that report. But it turns out that the full conversation that I had with uh, Dr. Herrett was interesting and worth hearing in its, entire, in its entirety. So I am now releasing that interview. As you'll see from the interview, I wasn't planning on being on screen or having this as, a, as an interview, but there it is. So I will, uh, I will let you watch the full interview, and I think Professor Herod has some valuable things to say about this document that we now have in our hands, the black and white, the document, as he stresses, the document that the entire war of terror and the Afghan war is based on, which of course is nothing. It's a lie, and it's a documentable, provable lie that we now literally have in our hands. So don't take the cynical, oh, we already knew this kind of thing. No, this is black and white in their own words, their own document. It is important. Please do watch this uh, report. Watch episode 345. Spread it around. This is very important work. And it, as I hope you can appreciate, it took months of preparation, weeks of writing and recording and editing and to get all of the, the dots lined up and everything in place. It takes a lot of work to do this. Most people have a nice, fun summer vacation. I spend my time working on reports like this, but I could not do this work without the subscribers who make this report possible. So to everyone who subscribes to The Corbett Report, thank you for making work like this possible. To everyone who does not yet subscribe to The Corbett Report, if you're subscribed to my extras channel and watching all these extra interviews and everything, and you're not subscribed for $1 a month, then shame on you. You can help to make this report possible. Not only now is Brock West literally full-time doing video editing for me, which obviously is an expense, but now, of course, I am thinking towards next year. As I've mentioned before, I really do want to get an assistant to help me with the, all the administrative work and the posting and the website maintenance and all of that stuff so that I can concentrate on doing reports like this about things that really matter. If you want to help make that possible, please go to corporatereport.com slash members and a dollar a month. More if you can spare it, of course, is appreciated, but as little as one dollar a month helps to make this report possible. I really do appreciate that support. So without further ado, let's get straight into the interview with Dr. Niels Herrett. All right, uh, let's just start. Actually, let's start about your coming to I, I don't want to say find, but uh, but uh, learn about this report. When, where, how did you find out about the Taylor Report? This is a nice little story about grassroots activism, actually, because and it starts in two thousand and nine when I got an email from a Norwegian truth activist. His name is Torstein Vidal, and he sent me this PDF. Uh, with a message, did you see this? And I hadn't seen this, and um, I opened it and read it, and it appeared to be the instructions going from the uh, American uh, State Department 
to all representations in the world, American representations in the world, embassies, consulates, and um, about what to think and what to say about 9-11. And I did not find the content particularly controversial. This is in 2009, because what was in there was completely in accordance with the official version. That is nothing, <laughs> basically. And um, But it was very long, and it was meticulated in instructing the recipients of this Depeche, I suppose you call it in, in English, uh, about what to do with it, not to put it anywhere, only to use it for oral presentations. But uh, at that time, I did not realize the importance of this document, because it weren't until 2012, as I recall, that Michel Kusudowski came out with a, a pivotal paper about what happened in Brussels in the days after 9-11. And I suppose that you make a solid account of that in, in, your, in your podcast, so I do not have to go through that. Um, all the things that, that uh, they activated Article 5 on September the 12th, provided the attack was directed from abroad. They had a suspect, uh, but they were still missing the uh, evidence, obviously. And the evidence for the claim that the attack was directed from abroad was presented by an American diplomat by the title of ambassador. His name was Frank Taylor for the North Atlantic Council on um, October the 2nd in Brussels. And the meeting was closed, obviously. And um, But Lord Robertson's came out afterwards and uh, told the collective press in a, in a packed press room that um, they had seen the evidence presented by Frank Taylor and uh, that briefings would be given in the, all the capitals and the NATO capitals, the NATO countries, there were 19 at the time, that was, would be 18 capitals, uh, because uh, to activate Article 5 has to be, uh, what you say, um, unambiguous. Everybody has to agree on activating Article 5. And October the 3rd, I know for my country, Denmark, that there was a meeting in, we call it the Committee of uh, Foreign Affairs, that as well as a closed meeting, where the members of, of this committee was presented with uh, what was going on in Brussels by our government. And it must have been agreed upon in all the NATO capitals on the 3rd, because on the 4th, there was a new meeting at the North Atlantic Council in Brussels, and Lord Robertson could come out and say, now, uh, everybody we have has agreed upon the evidence presented by Frank Taylor. So now, formally, Article 5 is being activated of the NATO Treaty. You know, the Musketeer Oath, one for all and all for one. And um, so you m might discuss when the NATO was started, if it was September the 12th or October the 2nd or October the 4th. But formally, it was October the 4th, and three days later, the first bombs fell in Afghanistan. 
So this is the course of events which is outlined by Michel Kusudowski in his paper in 2012. I believe there was two. There was a follow-up in 2012. So it wasn't up until that point that I understood what had happened in Brussels. And for many years, I have been arguing here on my local scene on the on the on, on the situation that we are going to war without knowing why, because Frank Taylor's report was classified, so was the minutes from the meeting, so nobody actually knew what the evidence was. Uh, and I have been writing essays and trying to get into the newspapers and giving presentations on this fact that we have been to war for so long, but we don't know why. Now, uh, so... And still, still, this document was sitting on my hard drive. But about a year ago, another activist, a, a, a brilliant Danish journalist, his name is Tommy Hansen, and he should be mentioned, he's a beacon on our local scene. And unfortunately, he passed away very recently. But I want his name to be mentioned in this connection because uh, when I was talking with Tommy, I said casually that... Well, I have the Depeche, which was sent to the American representations about what to say and what to think about 9-11. And I said, well, I, I would like to see that. All right. Uh, so I went back home and dug it out from, from my archives. And at that moment, for the first time, I looked at the date. Uh, because uh, according to the, the email address, it had been sent out on October the 2nd. And the document itself is dated on October the 1st. And then it snapped. That <laughs> what a coincidence. Because this was the same day as when Frank Taylor was giving his presentation in Brussels. And about a day before all the national governments were briefed. Uh, so um, I started to take a closer look, and then some details appeared that uh, that um, w was was striking. One thing is that Lord Robertson, and I'm sure that you have dug out the, the videos, the NATO videos. He he's simply in his press conference. He's reading a section from this document. So and so whoever wrote the Secretary General's talking paper for the press conference had read this document or prop eventually was the same author actually scripting both documents. Could be uh, the evidence is clear and compelling, etc. This simply, this is cut and paste from, from this document. And another thing is, are we supposed to believe that, that all American representations, and there are a lot, including the ambassador to NATO, the American ambassador to NATO, should get this, what to say and what to say, if this is not the same thing as Frank Taylor presented for the ambassadors in NATO, and the same, um, the same document presented to the national governments, because... The instructions in the start of this document, which is available for everyone, it was, de I forgot to say, it was declassified in 2008 already. So it has been around for 10 years now. 
almost exact on the date without us realizing that this is, in my mind, with no doubt, simply the legal basis for 18 years of perpetual war in the Middle East. This is the basis for, for NATO's activation of Article 5. And, uh, and so what is in the document? What is the evidence? What is the evidence which Lord Robertson calls clear and compelling? None. There's absolutely no evidence in that paper. It's free for everyone to see, and I'm sure you'll present it to your audience. So um, Article 5 of the NATO Treaty allows the members to defend themselves within the framework of Article 51 of the United States Charter, which only allow you to defend yourself. Uh, and uh, since Denmark was not attacked, we are a small, wealthy country of only 6 million people. We were not attacked by a poor country on the other side of the planet of 40 million people. So this this actually goes to the core of the legality of the NATO warfare in the Middle East. This is the Achilles heel, in my opinion. And I've tried to get across with this now for a year to the Danish press, and they're stonewalling all over on the highest level. So this is the story, and I think it's it's beautiful, actually. You're sitting now in Japan, and I got this document from a Norwegian activist and was a Danish journalist, Tommy Hansen, who pointed my attention to this document. And then everything snaps and come together. And this is the most important document, as innocent as it is. The point is that there is nothing there. <laughs> but that is the legal basis for NATO wars. Yes. Well, okay, let's, let's uh, detail the actual section of this report that is supposedly Al-Qaeda members conducted the attack which talks about how American Airlines 77 hijackers Khalid al-Maidar and Nawaf al-Azmi, uh, we have information that identifies them as al-Qaeda operatives. Uh, then there's a section on senior bin Laden terrorist Khalad, Khalad the Saudi, um, who is identified as playing a part in the East Africa embassy bombings, uh, is one of the individuals who was observed meeting with al-Maidar and al-Azmi in East Asia. Um, several... Yeah. Several of the September 11th hijackers uh, uh, have, uh, have been identified as known by Bin Laden associates. Uh, in the run-up to September 11th, Bin Laden and his associates seemed to be anticipating what we could only identify as an important event or activity. <laughs> Whatever that right. means. Um, yeah. September 11th attacks, uh, propaganda videotapes were distributed throughout the Middle East and among Muslim populations worldwide, in which Osama bin Laden and others were encouraging Muslims to attack American and Jewish targets. Again, nothing whatsoever to do with 9-11. And then they go into tactical similarity to earlier attacks. So, yeah, truly, they're, no evidence of any sort. They're, yeah, they're sidestepping. It's a digression, most of it, actually. And they're, and they're assuming that, that the evidence is clear and compelling, and then just adding hot air and dead meat to their claims. But they, they have kept up with the, with, the, 
with the with the claim until recently, and I suppose you will show that as well. That in the what you call the inauguration of the new NATO headquarters in Brussels about last year, uh, there was a ceremony where for a memorial for 9/11 and Article Five, and these were some steel beams from the North Tower of, of World Trade Center, and there you can see lined up all the leaders, the European leaders, Merkel is there, Macron is there, Theresa May, um, and as everybody's there, standing on line, and Donald Trump and, and Jens Stoltenberg, the present Secretary General of NATO, is a little ceremony, and it's so pathetic. <laughs> it's really, because everybody knows that everybody knows that everybody knows, but they have to play along. Another Another scene about playing along, I think, is, uh, and you probably has this this footing, uh, when um, in in Brussels, when all the ambassadors are signing up for what you call condolences uh, to the American government, and they're standing in line waiting to put their names, uh, actually, to certify the claims, and try to imagine that everyone, that someone should just step out of the rank. It's, it's, it's un, in, in, inconceivable. So that, that is how you get people aligned up to the lies. So talk about the importance of this document uh, for people who, A, people who are cynical and think, well, we already knew it was a lie. So, well, you know, who cares about the details of this document? Or for people who say, well, who cares about Afghanistan? You know, it's I guess it's still ongoing. But NATO combat operations are formally ended in 2014. Now it's a non-combat operation that still has troops deployed there. So it's, yeah. it's the past. It's over. What would you say to those people about the importance of this document? That this is the legal and the moral foundation and political foundation for the launch of the uninterrupted destruction of the Middle East. That's what it is. The 18 years of wars, we have refugees running all over the, the, the highways in Europe. Europe is going down for the load of refugees and migrants. And it all started there. It all emerges from this single document, legally, morally, and politically. That's why this document is important. It is the Achilles heel, like Building 7 is the Achilles heel of the, of, of, of the destruction of, of World Trade Center. So you may, you may be cynical, okay, and then you can be cynical about everything. But if there is any moral left in our Western society, this light should be shined on this document. Because this document is the legal, and I say it again, the legal and the moral basis for launching of the NATO wars in the Middle East. And that's something, I think. Well, you certainly get no argument from me. Um, and I believe Lord Robertson specifically said, uh, I, or I can't remember the text of, uh, of one of their press releases, anyway, talked about not just Afghanistan, but the war of terror, war on terrorism generally. So, oh yeah, yes, they're sidestepping, and you can also read that from and 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 the and the way ahead. You can read that in the document 
they're setting up for the war on terror. Uh, and 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 one another thing is that why haven't we had a criminal investigation of the terror attack? Because the act already on the day was categorized as an act of war, and you don't uh, you don't investigate wars acts acts of war. So th- that's why there haven't been any criminal investigation by the FBI or anyone else. You don't investigate wars unless I would I would say that the killing of three thousand people on the day was was a criminal act. So it, it's, 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 and it is really a weak, if you want to, if you want to pursue this from a legal point of view, it is, uh, it is weak. And that is why I'm running into stone walls everywhere here, because everybody know, understands, once you read this, that this is uh, the Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, uh, is yeah. the Taylor report and the minutes of that meeting is that still actually classified? I haven't checked. I don't it out. know. Yeah. I, I, I well, <laughs> James. The point is, there is no Taylor report. Yeah. This is the paper, James Taylor, who actually Lawrence Wilkinson has said that he, I, I, I knew uh, Frank, Frank Taylor. <laughs> uh, I knew Frank, and he's a, he's an okay guy. Lawrence Wilkinson says. So this is the paper Frank Taylor, who is a diplomat, gets in the hand, go to Brussels and read this. And and so there is no Taylor report. This is, it's the same document. Penelope, my wife, we wrote to the Danish foreign minister, and this is also unusual, the meeting on September the 12th in Brussels, the foreign ministers of the countries were present. They they are not that usually. So we asked our, at that time, foreign minister, have you seen the Frank Taylor report? And he said, well, I have, I have seen the uh, intelligence reports. Have you seen the Frank Taylor report? Well, I've seen the, but I didn't take it along. Ha ha. Point is now, he was not allowed to take it along. It's specific in the document, don't leave this as a hard copy anywhere. This is what the re- the recipients are being told. This is only for the oral presentation, meaning this is what you're supposed to say when you're giving the briefings in the natural capitals. So we were briefed, our little country, we were briefed on October the 3rd that we were at war with Afghanistan and we had to say Okay, we we are hearing what you're saying. Uh, this was, as you point out, declassified 19th of May 2008, and it was posted to Intel Wire on two, in 2009. Do you know the story of when, how, why it was declassified, in what way it came into Intel Wire's hands? No, no, I don't. But the names are on. The the names are on. The the. The officials who are declassifying the document. I believe it's a slip. It is a slip. The people, the person declassifying this document did not know the implications. It's very difficult to lie, you know. There are slips <laughs> and and we are taking advantage from them. I think it was a mistake. If they knew actually the key role played by this document, it would not have been declassified. 
it, there is no Frank Taylor report. This is the Frank Taylor report. And that's the point. Should we believe that there should be two different documents, that they're sending this out to all American diplomats and they're showing something different in Brussels on the same day? No. Uh, let's talk about the issue of precedent. Uh, what kind of precedent does it set that this re- this non-report, this briefing, was delivered uh, so quickly, um, with such shoddy, really no evidence whatsoever, was immediately accepted, and as you say, basically they scripted the press conference uh, for NATO, even in the acceptance of it, uh, in the invocation of Article 5, and then war. What kind of precedent does that set in the future for this to be repeated, and how do we avoid that? The last thing first. We avoid that by telling the truth. This is our only our, our only weapon, our only way to go, telling the truth, enlightening our fellow citizens. Uh, about precedence, we are up against time. As, as you know better than most, uh, the Western world is falling apart. So it, it, we are up against time if when the tsunami comes, we should re- have reached critical mass. There should be enough of people understanding uh, how, how we have been deceived for so many years, totally. And, be- and all wars are based on deceit, and all power is based on fear. And this is what we are up against. As to if it can be repeated, well, certainly. And what we are worried about here in Europe, of course, is some false flag event framing uh, Russia. But uh, I think it'll be very difficult to do now because of 9-11, eventually. Maybe I should quote John McIlvain, who lost his son in the North Tower on September 11th. And he said once, this time they went too far. This time they f***ed up. Because 9-11, yes, it started 18 years of still ongoing wars and destruction in the Middle East and the clash of civilizations. But it was also a wake-up call for what should we say, consciousness. And uh, one thing, our most powerful tool, and they didn't count on that. Remember that YouTube did not come up before 2005. There were no videos on the internet when the event happened. And they couldn't have foreseen that or taken into account. So if you say if the, um, if the Vietnam War was stopped by television, which it, it was, um, the, 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 the Middle East wars will be stopped by the internet, provided they will not succeed in, in cracking down on the internet as is happening these very days, okay? It's very important that we fight for this, this channel. The pictures are moving the hearts. I'm a scientist and I'm perfectly aware that science can only move the brains. 
it will be those making the pictures, the filmmakers, you yourself, a very strong force, and and the documentarists, which are moving the minds and the hearts. And this is very important. So in order to prevent uh, these things from happening again, we have to push every button within reach, wherever we are in time and space. What can I do, all the activists ask? This is a question I very frequently get. And I, my, my answer is push every button within reach. Wherever you are in time and space, push all the buttons. So this is the options we have. I don't think they can do it again. Everybody knows that everybody knows that everybody knows. And and the, um, the, the cover of lies are getting thinner and thinner. And so, it, as Lionel said, the mainstream media are not Washington Post and New York Times. The major media is what you call the alternative media. It's James Corbett. It's all the other uh, strong voices and very efficient voices out there. Russia Today. This is where the most decent, and this is an irony, this is the most decent mainstream outlet there right now. Um, so um, your question cannot be answered. Will there be a new 9-11? I don't think so. It has to be nuclear. We have been, you know, within our community, we have been speculating about this for a long time. So how can they topple World Trade Center? I don't think they can. They have to go nuclear in order to do that. And this is a scary perspective, right? And But we cannot keep any lunatic from pushing the wrong button at the wrong time. It's very fragile times and very interesting. And if you have a sense of humor, it's also quite a bit entertaining to watch, to watch the, the gang wars in America because that is what I consider. There's the different gangs fighting out. I uh, wholeheartedly agree that, uh, yeah, it's just a gang of thugs fighting for who will be in control of the state mafia, essentially. And um, Yeah, globally. Yeah, but you raise an important point that if the next event is a nuclear event, then Article 5 and things of, you know, the polite legalese bureaucratic machinations of NATO won't be matter at all. It will be yeah. more about the survival of the human species. So, Exactly. So we are still operating, you and I and many other people, in this two-dimensional cover of decency. And once that is being pulled off, we have no options left. We are still, in this country and the Western, there, still, there is still a level of decency, of law and order, formally operating. And this is our only chance to keep the powers responsible within this two-dimensional because the deep state, right, but we are working on, on this, what do you call it, lacquer, paint of decency, two-dimensional paint, which is, which is covering everything. So you have to keep them. They don't like to lie. Nobody likes, unless you're a psychopath. But ordinary people don't like to lie. And 
ordinary people do not want to be lied to. And this is very important. Uh, and that's also because it's diff diff difficult to get across because nobody wants to recognize that you're being lied to. I think it was Mark Twain who said that it's, it's far easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. Uh, and so I, I thought when I started on this path in late 2006, I was naive at the time. I thought if you just step onto a soapbox in the corner of, of, on the speaker's corner in Regent's Park in London and told the truth out in the air, it would run on its, by itself. No. Dead silence. So we have to take them one on one. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster Editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.